Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello there from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. Dr. Ross Green here, welcoming you to Parenting Your Challenging Child. We do this every week, September through May, and we're going to find a way to do at least one a month during the summer at the urging of one of our parents panel members, Susie. Speaking of the parents panel and its members, um, well, today's a parents panel member. Well, today's a parents' panel day, um, so I'm going to bring Susie and Kathy on the air here. How are you both today? Good, thanks. How are you? Hi, Kathy. Hi, Susie. I'm good, too. Good. Well, I always begin the program by asking, there's been a meaningful amount in the news lately, um, that we do or don't need to talk about, but I always ask you both if you have anything you want to uh, raise at the beginning of the program. Uh, Susie, anything on your mind here on this April 1st, 2013? Um, actually, I did see something um, on the Internet and uh, on the ABC News program. It, the story concerned a surveillance video from a school bus showing an aide violently screaming at a five-year-old boy who reportedly had problems in living. The tape showed the aide shouting at the boy on several occasions, threatening him to take him home with her and making him cry. There was at least one incident where the aide grabbed the boy, causing him to hit his head on the side of the bus. The bullying suddenly stopped in December after a school employee reported the alleged abuse to police. On Thursday, the aide was arrested and charged with stalking and was released on a $20,000 bond. Aside from the outrageousness of the aide's conduct, what blew me away was that the aide was reported and the tape was given to police back in December, and it took four months for the police to take any action. In fact, the aide is still employed by the school district, although not in a position requiring her to work with students. This is the price kids pay every day when adults responsible for their care aren't trained in Plan B and don't know how to interact with children, especially the challenging ones. Um, There was also a video that um, one can download to uh, actually see this taking place. But if it was all right with you, Dr. Green, I was wondering if I could maybe sponsor a few care packages to the principal of the little boy's school and the superintendent. Um, Susie? Yes. We would we would never deny your wishes to send a care package to anybody. Might I also suggest, and if you don't want to do this, then we um, 
we would do it ourselves here at Lies in the Balance, sending one to the police chief as well. You know what? I I, I did think about that. Yep. That makes sense. It's nice to um, have something to do when one reads things like this, something that makes us feel like we can actually do something about it. Otherwise, <laughs> we are stuck in the rut of seeing things go on out there that we know are wrong, but not feeling like we can do anything about it, and we can do something about it. At the very least, we can put information into the hands of the folks who can make sure that it doesn't happen again the next time. Mm-hmm. Um, but but what's your, you and Kathy, what, what's your take on these stories when you read them? I almost get, I, I hate to say it, but it it just keeps happening, and it's like gun control in this country. It keeps happening, and yet it doesn't seem like there's enough of a groundswell for, for people um, to, to be outraged enough to stop it. I mean, it's, it seems like how many incidents does it take? You know, restraint and seclusion are very close to my heart, and that, that just sounds like child abuse beyond even restraint. It, it's just horrifying, and yet my, I guarantee 100% that child um, ha- is a child with a disability, and um, it's just the, the lack of awareness, the lack of compassion. Um, there had to have been other children witnessing that, probably, the bus driver. I mean, it's like a conspiracy of silence, and it's horrifying, really. Well, it's... Um there's one of these stories in the news, I'd say, at least every week. I guess every other week at the very least. Um, I get them sent to me. And um, so it, it happens. Um, your, your question is, where is the outrage? Is an interesting one. Um, I think that um, I don't know how most people respond to stories like this, Um I think that some people see this being done and, believe it or not, blame the kid. Um, I think that there's so many things for us to be outraged about these days that um, there's so many to choose from that I think that we, we may actually have gone a little numb just because of the sheer volume of things we see going on out there that we... Um, that we should be doing something about but aren't exactly sure how to do something about. And so they sort of pass by in our consciousness. If it still sparks some outrage, it's gone when we turn to the next outrageous thing that we feel we can do nothing about. I, I don't know. Susie, what's your take on that? Um, well, I agree with what you said and what Kathy says, but it just, again, um, drives home the point at how we're a lot of adults interacting with kids, especially the challenging ones, um, the, their method of doing so, Plan A, it's broken. And um, it, it just stresses to me how important it is to get the word out 
that there is a different way, a better way to um, help the children. Well, and it's interesting because um, reward and punishment programs, what sometimes are called contingency management programs, sticker charts, timeouts, those strategies were actually created so that people would have better options than being physical with a kid. Hmm. Um, and so it's, it's inter- you know, uh, if, if somebody said to me, and I haven't seen the piece, so I don't know what the person on the school bus was doing to the kid, but I assume that it was hard to watch. Which mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's interesting, time out was created as a way to give people an option besides hitting a kid. And I think that most folks would agree that timeout is better than hitting a kid um, and gets the same message through. Um, you know, here it lies in the balance. We believe that there's something even better than timeout, so the natural evolution of things has occurred. Hitting is out of the question, um, but timeout frequently doesn't accomplish the mission for a lot of kids either so that's where we start moving into solving problems collaboratively instead but it's interesting i think a lot of people who still practice um, those standard behavior management procedures would be just as upset by what they saw going on in the video that you're referring to if if i can only imagine what was going on in it as we would be Um, the big question is for me does the aid or the person on the bus, whatever the person was, mm-hmm. have the training and right. the understanding to know what to do instead of what they were doing. Are they working under circumstances that are impossible? Is this poor training? Is this a systemic issue where we are putting people in circumstances that are unmanageable for them, either because of numbers or um, poor training. So that's, I must say, that's kind of where I go. So what happened, it sounds like it was on a school bus. Is that the deal? Yes. What happened on that school bus, probably somewhat complicated in some ways. Um, there are some very well-qualified people working with behaviorally challenging kids out there, but I have often been astounded at how poorly qualified some of the folks are who work with are behaviorally challenging kids in our education system. Um, It's really quite something. And they are often also among the most poorly paid. Um, I don't know. It's always, I'm I'm almost glad that I didn't watch it because I can't stand watching things like that. Um, Thoughts? No, I can't stand watching them. It's too upsetting, really. It's just because uh, you already pretty much know from when you read the, the clip before what's going to happen, and actually seeing it is sometimes too visual, and then it haunts you. So I I can't watch. There there are many things in this world that if we actually saw them happening, uh, it would change our outlook and our behavior dramatically. Um, Many, but here's the good news. It's good that this stuff is now making its way into the news media. Of that, 
I am very happy because it says that we are now um, we have a heightened awareness that you shouldn't be doing that to a kid. And if you do do that, whatever the person did to a kid that was unreasonable, um, there's a good chance people are going to know about it. And, um, you know, there's many downsides to to this um, era that we live in where everybody has a camera in their iPhone and where almost nothing is private anymore. Um, But I would say that if if a uh, smartphone could be used for something useful, um, capturing on film to heighten people's awareness of what goes on out there, somebody treating a uh, behaviorally challenging kid or any challenging kid in a way that was unreasonable, I would actually say that that's a pretty good use of a smartphone. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that this makes the news now because I think that there was a time when it didn't make the news. And I would say that that's a positive development. Kathy, what's on your mind today? Anything in particular? We do have a caller, oh. by the way, so okay, we may well, we may take a caller on the program today. Um, but let's hear let's hear from you first, and to our caller, just hang on, caller, and we'll get to you as soon as we hear what Kathy's got on her mind. Well, that, when you when you brought that up, that sort of um, Susie, that sort of changed what I was thinking about. I'm um, going into the public schools in the in the town that I live to do some autism awareness or Light It Up Blue tomorrow is um, World Autism Awareness Day. And I and I felt like, you know, given that with all that we had gone through that was not very positive, that it would be positive to create some awareness events of, of how kids' behavior can come to be challenging and how sometimes it isn't in their control and, and, and put some awareness around that. But the schools that I'm going into, I, I've heard disturbing things that, in the elementary school, um, they now have a screen room that there's sometimes there are lines to get into it. And um, in the in the middle school, where I'm putting on the biggest display, I've heard that police are called um, when Plan A doesn't work with a, a, a behaviorally challenging kid. And I've heard that a, a friend of mine witnessed um, uh, an aide escalating what was going on with the child because the child didn't want to go with that particular aid to the point where the child was throwing things and refusing to go, and so uh-huh. essentially police had to be involved. And I thought, it's only been, I don't know, four or five years since I've been in those schools. Have, I, have we not learned anything? And I, I wondered, you know, but I stick my neck out there and just um, through freedom of, of information act Ask how many times police are called and, and for whom, and, and get that information out there um, to to other concerned parents because it, it, it's just horrifying to me that that people think that police is the way to go. I mean, my son saw the police in third grade, and and it just is like, oh my gosh, you know, when these kids are in middle school, they're going to start having records, and it really feels like we haven't made any progress in how we work with these kids. There are certainly places where we have made no progress or have moved backward. And there are places where we've made progress. Um, uh, Lives in the Balance, of course, is committed to not only making people aware of what goes on out there, but to um, giving people some places that they can put their energy to do something about it. 
And um, now that we have gotten settled in Portland, Maine, we are getting our sea legs under us and we'll be planning some initiatives that people can get involved in. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the times of the year where people can really come and learn about how they can participate in the advocacy efforts of Lives in the Balance is the annual conference, which is November 8th in Portland, Maine, this year, 2013. So for those who are listening, if, if this is something that you would like to get more involved in um, and help Lives in the Balance um, organize its efforts to advocate um, in these areas, um, number one, watch the website closely for things that you can actually do to help out, and number two, come to the conference on November 8th in Portland, Maine, so that we can all put our heads together and really get galvanized so that this change is not just a pipe dream, um, and we are doing what we can do to get the word out there. Susie, please also do send me, if you haven't already, I don't think I've seen it, the link to the ABC News piece so we of can course. post it in the good and bad news section All right. um, of the Lives in the Balance website. And that's one way that we can make people aware of things. It's kind of low-key, but it's there. Um, but you're right, Kathy. Uh, I think that people in schools call the police because, well, quite frankly, they're either not exactly sure what to do or um, they feel like they really have no other good options and that's who you call when you're not exactly sure what to do but uh here in the year 2013 uh not happy not happy to imagine that there are still people who aren't exactly sure what to do yeah it's frustrating it's frustrating for me to see and i um i try to figure out ways to let people reflect on it so that they can hear that there are alternatives. Sounds like you're doing your part. Yeah, trying. Regrettably, the change um, isn't likely to be fast. Number one, these are tough kids. And number two, educators are working under very difficult circumstances a good part of the time. And so change is slow. The whole goal is to make sure that things do change no matter how long it takes. Agreed. <laughs> Shall we take our caller? Sure. Sure. Let's go to area code 620. Um, caller, you're on the air with the parents panel. How are you today? Doing great. And yourself? Doing well. Now, just to remind you before you start, no names, no identifying information besides the area code. What's on your mind today? I actually was going to ask a question, but I think I want to chime in on the discussion you all have been having, if that's okay. We're, we, we, we are flexible here on the parents' panel, and you can do both. <laughs> I have called in before. I have an explosive 10-year-old. Um, he's in fifth grade, and um, the this information is very near in my mind right now because I've been pondering um, my child, who is a very black and white thinker, and therefore when things don't go his way, he explodes all over the place. Um, and I I really love the image of these black and white kids living in a gray world. Um, and like you say, Dr. Green, you know, there's 
grayness all over our world, and it's very hard for these kids to deal with that. But my observation recently has been with children like my son, who are very black and white, um, it seems like the world is more black and white to them in a way. Like things that my other son is allowed to just kind of, he's allowed to do or allowed to think and whatnot. My child, because there's implications for later on in life, um, things that would be gray are all of a sudden black and white. I don't know if I'm making any sense. Maybe you could uh, explain further. I think I know what you mean, but um, on this program as well as in the model, we uh, try not to assume. Tell, t- say more. Okay. So, for instance, um, let's see. Let me let me try to get an example going here. For instance, um, the fifth graders in my child's school um, spend the whole year being um, given tickets for rewards. When they do good in a math lesson, they're given tickets. When they bring their planner back, signed by the parent, they're given a ticket. And these tickets get collected throughout the school year and are accumulated. And towards the end of the year, sometime in May, they will have an auction where they count up their tickets and they get to auction, they auction off toys, I guess. I don't know. This is my first child going through the school system. Um, and I'm I'm already suspicious that we're going to have to do a big old proactive plan A, uh, sorry, plan B with my son about this because he's come home multiple times throughout the year mentioning that he's not getting tickets like the other kids because he has to have reminders for his outbursts and his behavior and whatnot. And, um, and then um, above that, the kids, in his classroom during math time get tickets throughout math, and he gets pulled out during math in the gifted program and um, doesn't earn tickets even though he's in a gifted program. And so, like, for instance, um, when when kids do well in a classroom and they receive these tickets, um, my son's not getting the tickets because he's not in that classroom, but he's still expected to do well and he's not getting tickets. And so I don't know if that's clarifying this at all. Well, the part I'm less clear on is how what you're describing, maybe our parents panel members of um, do know what you mean, how what you're describing is more black and white, as which is what you had said in the beginning. Not that it matters, but um, we can talk about it even if it's not. But just a little bit more clarity on what you mean. Well, I guess I mean that that kids that don't have behavior outbursts um, are, you know, people can say things to them like, oh, just don't do that, and and they're allowed to go on. But um, with kids like my son, um, he's, he's told very clearly what he can do and what he can't do, and now mm-hmm. that's coming out to him, coming across like plan A. I got it. Uh, parent panel, Kathy, Susie, uh, um, what do you think? Well, I was going to chime in that my son, um, because his behavior is challenging, he gets more plan A responses almost immediately. 
which of course escalates situations, and then uh, tickets aren't earned. Um, but he, fortunately, he's at a place now where all the kids are have sort of their issues, so they 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 bend over backwards to find ways. Sometimes when the kids are doing something right, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the ticket program anyway, but it exists. Um, but I do notice that if if they're feeling like your child isn't behaving well, then the tendency is to immediately go to the reprimand or the you're not getting a ticket or you know the sort of the plan A type um, response, which then you know begets more black and white thinking and more rigidity on the part of the child. I don't think those programs work very well for our kids, really. Susie? Yeah. Um, Not only do they not work very well, but sometimes they even make things worse because the challenging children don't have the skills to um, behave adaptively and and get the tickets. But I was wanted to ask the caller, how long have you been uh participating in Plan B? How long have you been doing this with your son? I started in early November and uh-huh. um made such an immediate impact uh um I stopped probably around Christmas time and um and then picked it back up in February when I noticed that I had stopped and things were reverting back. So, you know, my my husband and I my whole family is now just plan B central and uh fully committed. So now we've been doing this um uh on a regular basis now, both my husband and I since February. Okay. And so I was wondering um if you have had a chance to go into the school and explain to them what you're doing at home and how it's working out so well, have, yes. have you had a discussion with them? Yes, and we are on the cusp of sitting down with um, the administration and his the resource director and one of his paras um, are very much um, getting on this train with us, um, and we just we have an appointment coming up later this week with the IEP team to um, start doing more of this, and I, I want to get them doing the ALSEP. And, and, oh, that's uh, great. That's great because I'm just thinking ahead and knowing, um, thinking back to how my son was in fifth grade, um just thinking that there's a problem um that probably needs to be worked out regarding the auction cuz that's just um something that's uh hibernating and maybe you know I realize that it's April but maybe they can work with you and try to work out a mutually satisfying solution um, regarding the tickets and, and, you know, how he is pulled out to go to the gifted math class. So he's sort of in a uh, compromised position to win tickets. Right. 
Right. So that my question was actually going to be about um, how do I approach a, a non-LSUP team to do something like this? Because I feel like the proactive plan B from this does need to come from them. We can support it at home. Well, it I may not come use, from. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, Kathy. I I um, try not to use the language. I I too much of plan B when when I feel some resistance to it. I just say I I wonder if there's a way, and then I explain what the problem is. You know where, where it is from my vantage point. Like I wonder if there's a way, since my son isn't able to earn tickets that he can participate and feel good about what he, what he you know when he does well at school or something like that because you're you're posing in it in a not I want you to do this but a more like I wonder way. if there's a, a way that that he could feel good about the program and and earn points for when he's doing well or you know some way of kind of framing it that they can hear what your concerns are for your son yeah. And I also think uh, you really, you and your husband really need to be involved in the process of um, figuring out a plan at school that works. Yeah. Uh, not to just leave it up to them because you guys are the experts on your son. You know what's working and what's not. Yeah. Well, the hard part, of course, is that what's working at home is not what they're doing at school. Right. And it's always a little dicey bringing something new into a school. There are educators who are very receptive to new ideas. Um, there are educators who are not. I tend to find that in the area of discipline, people do seem to be more stuck in their ways than on other things. Um, but, so the big question is, are they ready? Do they do they have a enough... Um, of where the ALSUP is coming from and what it's focused on and why focus on those things for them to start identifying lagging skills and unsolved problems yet. Um, is, is there a point person in the building who you think is receptive to these ideas who can um, help um, pave the way so that people aren't sitting in a meeting looking at their ALSIPs, having no idea whatsoever what they're supposed to be doing with it. Um, I find that the ALSIP isn't sort of a um, freestanding first uh, stab at things. They might need a little bit of a background as to why they're doing it in the first place. So I guess that's my question. Do you have at least one person in the building who might be able to pave the way for you so that this is not all you doing this in a system um, where you are not, it sounds like, a very active participant, namely your child's school. And what's your sense of how receptive they're going to be or have been so far? 
I think um, I do. The resource director um, is is ready and willing. I think um, the her main resistant comment, um, which now I feel like I have a better understanding of the whole picture and I have better information um, to help her with. Um, share, her comment back to me was the big problem with this is that there's no punishment for his behavior. There's no consequences. Mm. And so now I have better vocabulary to help her see that um, really the, the, the viewpoint is, is different than that and, um, and that we can accomplish a lot more than doing what we have been doing and just leading him astray. Um, so I think that I do have a very willing um, person there. I just am uh, actually I had just this morning sent her an email asking for some time where I can describe this in greater detail and answer her, her questions one by one for it. Um, but her language thus far, with the exception of the whole, the, the only problem is that there's no consequences, um, has been very receptive. And so uh, between her and one of the paras that I know has read The Explosive Child, and um, this is making a lot of sense, um, I think that we have a good nucleus to get going on this. Um, I just want to meet with, with the resource director first to make sure that she's on board prior to bringing anybody else in on it. You know, uh, as a word of encouragement, first of all, good for you for advocating for your kid, good for you for doing what you're doing. Um, I listen to a lot of Plan B being done by people who are in training with me in one way or another. And I was listening to Plan B being done just this morning by uh, a classroom teacher and the person in the building who's bringing Plan B into the building. And this is a very receptive teacher, and of course the person who's working with her is doing a good job of coaching. And then about two-thirds of the way through Plan B, I think it was the define the problem step of Plan B, the teacher started talking about consequences. Mm. Uh, and I thought to my, and of course the person who was helping the teacher learn how to do this stepped in and said, "Well, uh, one of the, uh, your concern is not about adult-imposed consequences," and so it got corrected. But um, that was somebody who, the, the person who was talking about consequences was very receptive to the whole thing, right? And yet, and was trying hard to do plan B on her own, and yet here in two-thirds of the way through a recording is still lapsing or regressing back to adult-imposed consequences. What that says to me is that, um, that, that somebody can be receptive but still not yet realize that there are parts of their old vocabulary that really aren't part of this model and aren't necessary anymore. Um, somebody's still talking about consequences early in the learning curve on getting good at this model and on getting good at plan B. Uh, actually, not so unusual. So good for you for noticing that the person's not completely all the way there yet, but also good to know that um, that doesn't mean you're not going to get them there. Right. Okay. Well, uh, you'll have to keep us posted on how things are going. I will. We would love to hear from you again. Thank you for calling in. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Susie, Kathy, any other reactions to 
what our caller was saying? I, I think the consequences thing is um, probably one of the biggest hurdles for people to get over in a school system. I hear it all the time, and it um, I see it imposed all the time, and my son just pretty much endures it now when it happens. Um, but it, it kind of saddens me because um, I think we could be doing so much more problem-solving if we were not so focused on that. It doesn't really prevent the child from doing whatever's getting in their way, you know, again. I mean, it certainly didn't work in my house, you know. I guess here's my take. It's a very well-disseminated model, and it's been what people have been doing and training other people to do for a very, very long time, uh, probably over 50 years, has that been sort of the status quo for discipline. And um, uh, my hope um, is that helping people recognize the limitations of doing things that way and recognize that there are other tools that they could be using and other strategies they could be using instead uh, I don't think that's going to take 50 or 60 years to accomplish, so I'm an optimist there. Uh, the good news is that um, those people who are familiar with this model notice when this model is not being used, and um, that's a good thing right there. I don't know why I'm in optimistic mode today, but um, <laughs> be- between uh, uh, hearing about a kid being treated badly on a school bus and seeing that as the fact that we know about that as a good thing, and the fact that people who know about this model are quick to recognize when people are doing things that are likely to be counterproductive, um, I'd say we're moving in the right direction. It's just those of us who are aware wish that more people could be more aware, and that's where Lives in the Balance comes in, I hope. Um, shall I bring up what's been in the news media in the last few days? Sure. Bring it up. Um, story in the New York Times this morning. It's already been posted in the good and bad news section. This is probably the only one we have time for here. The headline, ADHD seen in 11% of U.S. children as diagnoses rise. Uh, here's the first paragraph. Nearly one in five high school-age boys in the United States and 11% of School-aged children overall have received a medical diagnosis of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, according to new data from the centers for the from the federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Next paragraph: uh, These rates reflect a marked rise over the last decade and could fuel growing concern among many doctors that the ADHD diagnosis and its medication are overused in American children. One more sentence. The figures show that an estimated 6.4 million children ages 4 through 17 had received an ADHD diagnosis at some point in their lives, a 16% increase since 2007, and a 53% rise in the past decade. About two-thirds of those with a current diagnosis received prescriptions for stimulants like Ritalin or Adderall. Um, which can drastically improve the lives of those with ADHD, but can also lead to addiction, anxiety, and occasionally psychosis. 
Uh, and so one more. Uh, these are astronomical numbers. I'm floored, said Dr. William Graff, a pediatric neurologist in New Haven and a professor at the Yale School of Medicine. He added, mild symptoms are being diagnosed so readily, which goes well beyond the disorder and beyond the zone of ambiguity, to pure enhancement of children who are otherwise healthy. So that's in the news. I wanted to find out what you both thought of that. Um, I can give you my quick thought. Um, Number one, stimulant medication can be very helpful for some kids. And number two, I don't believe that 11% of kids... uh, Number two, I think it's good that we are now recognizing ADHD in kids so that those who have the difficulties associated with what we call ADHD can get the help they need. And number three, I don't believe that 11% of kids in the U.S. or two-thirds of, uh, number one, are appropriately diagnosed as having ADHD. I don't think that the number can conceivably be that high. And number two, if two-thirds of them are on stimulant medication, then indeed it is being prescribed too much. What do you both think? I have my copy of the New York Times right in front of me, so I was reading along with you. Um, How did I do? Great. Thank you so much. You're welcome so very much. Um, I think that, as you said, it is, it's great that it's uh, come to our attention more, but I think that... Um, uh, general practitioners and pediatricians are overprescribing, and um, so instead of going to a specialist, um, a lot of kids are, you know, getting the medicine when perhaps they probably don't need it. Um, the other thing was. Um, I just thought it was interesting that one of the doctors uh, quoted in the article had originally said that stimulants were as safe as aspirins, and he has now um, recanted on, on that statement and even feels bad that he's contributed to the problem. I know um I I do have a problem with attention and do take medicine for it and it has changed my life. Um but that being said, I just think that we have to be very very careful and I guess the new um diagnostic Manual is coming out next month, yes? Yes, I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they're changing the criteria for um, this diagnosis, so even more people... Well, they've invented a few new ones and gotten rid of a few, too. Um, Yeah. We'll, we'll, you know, um, those of us who've been following it, 
uh, know what's coming down the pike. I can't wait to start using some of the new diagnoses that are now available to me. Of course, I'm being sarcastic. Mm -hmm. Kathy, we have about uh, 70 seconds left. Any final thoughts? Um, Just want to make sure you get your chance here at the end. Well, you brought up a very, I'll I'll speak quickly, but I've been thinking about the ADHD thing uh, for my uh, non-challenging kid because he has trouble focusing in school. So my first thought, though, is to have a full neuropsych evaluation done and not running to a pediatrician for medication. That would be the last thing I would do. But I also think that the way our schools are set up today, that boys have a harder time sitting still in school and that could be leading to a lot of these diagnoses, but just the way that we're setting up our education system. So I, I, I kind of question that. There are lots of things that could cause a kid to be inattentive, hyperactive, and impulsive, and many of them are things medication doesn't fix. Unfortunately, as always, this goes too fast, but we're out of time for today. Thank you, Susie. Thank you, Kathy. You guys will be back next month again, yes? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Take care, Kathy. Thank you. Bye.